Hi, and welcome to the Dr. Coffee Podcast, your weekly blend of motivation, encouragement, education, and insights into all things medicine for junior doctors and medical students in South Africa. Thank you so much for your support of this growing podcast. It's been a real blessing to receive feedback on how you're enjoying the discussions and the topics shared and how it has encouraged you to be and think more deeply about your own path in medicine. Over the coming weeks, I'll be featuring conversations with doctors in various exciting specialties, such as pediatric surgery, intensive and critical care, radiation oncology, and medical oncology, with many, many more to come after that. For this episode though, I'd like to bring the conversation back around to issues affecting medical students and those who will be entering their internship training years soon. While I'm certainly not the first to organize and share advice for new graduates going into internship, I do think that a weakness or a danger of a lot of the information passed down to medical students from interns who are currently doing internship is that it focuses too much on the long hours, how tired you'll be, the horrific and sometimes quite crazy experiences you'll have with difficult patients, or working with administrative clerks who in effect gatekeep the healthcare system. In this episode, there'll be none of that. No complaining, no negativity, or at least I'll do my best to avoid it. As someone who's worked in various jobs before switching gear and pursuing studies in a career in medicine, I can tell you that I've learned a couple of key lessons, and uh, these are just my views. First of all, every donkey thinks their load is the heaviest. If you listen to an intern now, they'll tell you how unfair the working hours and the demands on them are. They'll even tell you how they're working harder than their colleagues. But if you listen to a consultant who did their internship 20 years ago, they'll tell you how lucky the current interns are to have it so easy and not as difficult as they had it. It's human nature to prioritize and to focus on our own suffering. Number two, work is hard. And certainly internship is really hard work, but there are few jobs as engaging, challenging, and rewarding as medical internship. For some medical interns, this is their first real job with a salary and responsibility that they've ever had. And I have to say for some, it shows. One thing I can tell you is that there are people working similarly long hours in many parts of the world to make ends meet. But these people do not have the benefits that we do, such as supervision and training, the reward of learning, and the satisfaction of patients improving and a job well done at the end of the day. Also, we have the recognition that comes with the title of doctor. Number three, it's easier to be negative and complain than to focus on the good. I do believe that part of the reason that some patients and the public anticipate negative experiences at our hospitals is because we as junior doctors and medical students are pushing this narrative a little bit too hard. Please hear what I am saying and don't mishear or misunderstand me. There are genuine and real challenges in our public healthcare system and these deserve attention and discourse so we can fix them. But posting pictures about how chronically tired we are or how broken the equipment is or giving any impression that the hospital is a dangerous place for patients to be only compounds problems for patients and families who now enter the hospital fearing and expecting the worst. They come in argumentative, defensive, and ready to fight for their right to care, rather than appreciating our efforts. What a culture is, a culture grows. And if we want our work to be more enjoyable, we need to help to change the culture of complaining. All of that is simply the prologue to this week's episode, which is all about internship and the adventure that awaits next year's new interns. 
I'm looking forward to unpacking some practical tips and suggestions to make internship as productive and as much fun as possible. But before we dive in, I'd like to give a shout out to the sponsors of this week's episode, which is brought to you by FlashMed Medical Student Flashcards and Summaries and the WardWorks Patient Management and Productivity app. For this and other episodes, I'm pleased to announce that the Dr. Coffee podcast has partnered with FlashMed SA. FlashMed is a new type of medical study flashcard pre-packaged and formatted to assist you to be more effective as a student and ultimately help you to become a better doctor. The FlashMed Revision Sheet Notepad is ideal for summarizing the most important aspects of a disease or medical condition, such as pathophysiology of the disease, how to diagnose it, the management and treatment, and how it presents clinically as well as its risk factors. It's ideal for quick referencing, brushing up on old knowledge, and studying for exams. All FlashMade notepads are printed using the highest quality paper and each set consists of 50 flashcards or pages. You can find FlashMade on Instagram at at FlashMadeSA, all one word with no punctuation, and order direct from them via DM with nationwide delivery. I hope you enjoy using their products. I'm also pleased to announce that the Dr. Coffee podcast has partnered with WardWorks app. WardWorks is a free patient list and task management app that allows doctors to simplify the way they work. It's a proudly South African app created for doctors by doctors. So how do you benefit from it? Well, WardWorks allows you to keep track of and easily access your patient's information, their location, and what ward work is required for them. Doctors can collaborate on WardWorks securely within their teams. And if you don't know how to use them, WardWorks also offers Zoom demonstrations with the delivery of delicious cookies and coffees to help to introduce you and your team to WardWorks. So where do you find WardWorks? Well, WardWorks is a web-based app that you can access through your internet browser on uh, your mobile phone or a desktop computer. You can simply visit WardWorks with an X instead of KS, wardworks.app, but you can also find the downloadable application on the Apple App Store and the Google Play Store. And speaking from experience, WardWorks will change your life. It'll help you to be far more effective and plan your work. Thank you so much to WardWorks for partnering with us, and I hope that you found it useful just as I have. Welcome to this week's episode. The title of this week's episode is Internship Adventure Confirmed. Now what? So we'll be talking all about internship, jam-packed with as much advice as possible for those who are going to be starting internship. At the time of recording, there are roughly 100 days left in the academic year for any of the medical schools in South Africa. So it means that the students are kind of ramping things up, wrapping up and finishing final exams and maybe looking ahead to internship with a lot of excitement, maybe some nerves, some anxiety, uh, a little bit of trepidation. And hopefully also some relief that you got your student years behind you. And I think in this this week's episode, we are going to cover a lot of advice that's going to help people come the 1st of January. Um, and my goal here is to help you to step in with confidence, to have the right kind of mindset and some practical keys to prepare you so that you go in strong and do things well and don't have to learn things the hard way. Certainly lots of people have prepared advice and, and there are certainly seniors who are very generous with their time and their thoughts in this regard. Of course, I'm just one intern. So my reflections and my musings here uh, might not be true for every single person, but to be as balanced and fair as possible, I have drawn inspiration and advice from those who've gone before, as well as my colleagues. I've pulled some suggestions from them. I've asked them to contribute so that 
as much information as possible comes across, as many useful tips as possible come across, and ultimately the audience and those going into internship are helped and blessed by it. So what I've done is I have arranged my thinking and arranged the tips and, and tools in this week's episode into two main clusters. So this episode is definitely a lot different to some of the conversations we have. It might be a good idea to grab a piece of paper and a pen. I mean, I, I certainly recognize that I'm not a lecturer or a teacher in these things, but just to help you get the maximum benefit from it. Otherwise, by all means, come back to this episode. I'll also put some of the timestamps in the show notes that'll cover the different topics. So yes, yeah, so the different topics and different clusters of information that I've grouped together. Um, I've got two broad categories of uh, content in this episode. The first one is to cover theoretical uh, thinking. So I'd like to start off with adopting the correct mindset for internship. Uh, and then how to handle your money is the second thing under that, that theoretical banner. And then thirdly, to talk about professionalism and what it means to be part of a profession, uh, not just an occupation, but something that you've uh, qualified for, that there's a certain standard to live up to. Certainly, uh, medicine is an honorable profession. It's something that no matter where you go, um, no matter what stratum in society you are, it's something that is held in high regard and something to be valued. Uh, the second major cluster or banner to group headings under would be more practical. So we've got the theoretical and then we've got the practical. And under practical, are we really going to talk about things like what clothing to wear and to pack, uh, what's tech uh, to, to have on, on call with you uh, or during your workday, what kind of footwear to look at, what kind of footwear to wear, uh, apps to have on your phone and smart devices, what food to have and to manage your hydration. So really, really practical nuts and bolts stuff, uh, really getting to the brass tacks of internship. Uh, from time to time, you might hear a rustle of paper here and there. That's because I've got all my thoughts written down on pieces of paper and rather than be a very kind of um, sterile recording, um, you know, where everything is just edited and cut. I, I want, want to really get it as much as possible across. So if you do hear rustles of papers and things, it's just because I'm going through my notes. So let's begin. Let's dive into the theoretical. Um, and we're going to start off with having the right mindset. And many, many people contributed to this. So I would like to thank them and acknowledge them without naming them on the podcast, just the many people who contributed to the thinking behind um, this aspect of advice. So the first thing about adopting the mindset for internship is to position yourself really as a professional working doctor, but somebody who hasn't arrived yet. Remember what the goal of internship is. Internship is about your training and sharpening of your practice and helping you to become a great healthcare professional. So the reality is that you don't know everything. The reality is that you haven't seen and done everything. Um, so go in knowing that there are gaps in your knowledge, that internship is designed to help fill. Uh, and somebody shared with me something that I think is really great about the four different phases of knowing something in medicine. And they, they stated it like this, that first of all, you don't know what you don't know. So not knowing what you don't know. You, have, you are so ignorant that you don't even know where your blind spots are and what the deficits in your knowledge are. The second phase is then knowing what you don't know or knowing you don't know certain things. So if a, if a 
professor or consultant on the round says, how do you do an adrenaline infusion? You can say, well, I know I don't know that. Okay. Then the third category would be not knowing that you know. And sometimes as somebody who's graduated from medical school, this can happen when they're ask, asking questions on the round, they'll ask you a question and you'll say, you know, I don't know how I know this, but I think the answer might be 15 to 20. And they'll say, yes, correct. You don't necessarily need to know where you read that, where you learned it, but it's part of your background knowledge, part of something that you've learned maybe in second or third year, and you have that knowledge sitting there waiting to be accessed. So that's the third level, is not knowing that you know. But then the final stage of knowing something in medicine is knowing that you know something. And this is what gives you power, gives you confidence, and helps you to be an efficient doctor, is when you know that you know something, you don't need to look it up in a guideline because you have done it so many times. Um, I think of examples like when we tokalized patients um, in Obzingani. As a fifth year medical student going into Obzingani, we had to read that protocol book um, carefully to make sure we didn't miss a step. But by the time we were an intern, when a patient came in, and um, tocolysis was warranted, was um, indicated in that patient, we knew the steps, you know, so we could order the salbutamol, 250 micrograms, and, and, and if salbutamol wasn't available, know what the other options were, and follow the tocolysis um, regimen suitable for that patient. Um, yeah, so that's the first, the first thing, is the four different phases of knowing something in medicine. The second thing uh, in terms of adopting your mindset is to have the right mental attitude as an intern. What I mean by mental attitude is really understanding that you will have times when you will be corrected. You will have times where you might need to just suck up your pride a little bit and recognize that you are still a very, very small fish in this big pond. I have seen far too many interns um, and I say this carefully because I, I recognize I am an intern as well, but I have seen too many interns respond negatively to criticism or correction. And I think also it comes down to how it is handed to you, um, depending on who your senior is. So granted, I understand that some seniors can give correction in a way that can hurt, um, that can make you feel um, condemned rather than helped. But in most cases, when a senior is offering correction um, or criticism, they're not doing it to cut you down. They're not doing it to destroy you. They're doing it to help you. Sometimes it is appropriate to just be humble and take it, um, as hard as it is. And there will be days that you have great days um, where, where all your drips are flowing easily, you do procedures and, and you do your lumbar puncture and everything is quick and easy, champagne tap, no problem but there will also be days where you make mistakes. There will be days where you forget to do something. That's where you need to cop it on the chin and say, you know what, I'm so sorry, how can I make it right? Another thing that um, we don't do well is if we are being corrected and we feel like we're being wronged, we're very quick to interrupt. And that's something that all of us need to work on. It's like human nature that as soon as we feel we're being wronged, we want to intervene and, and say, no, 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 you don't understand. Um, that's not how it happened. Uh, one of the tools that I learned, actually from being a parent, in fact, is something that I had, had to teach my kids, which we call the appeal rule. And it goes something like this. Let's say a consultant who's not aware that you were asked to do something after doing something else comes in and says, why hasn't um, thing B been done? 
And you know that it's because we were waiting for thing A to have been completed. Um, instead of saying, no, 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 but, you know, and, and escalating things and being all tense, you can say, professor, doctor, as it is, um, can I appeal? Um, and, and what it means is just a gracious way of saying, I might have more information that you don't know about. Uh, can I appeal? And, and most people will kind of be taken so aback by this, you know, can I appeal? And what you mean by that is, can I add some information that you might not be aware of um, just before you, you know, before you make a judgment? And then you can say, the reason that thing B hasn't been done yet is because we were waiting for thing A to be completed. So for example, we haven't done a bone marrow aspiratin trephine on this patient yet because when I looked at their blood results today, I saw that their platelets were eight and I decided to transfuse two units of platelets first uh, and then to do the procedure afterwards because that is a simple intervention that can then um, help to mitigate any negative consequences from that BMAT that I'm gonna do later. That is a polite way of saying, you know what, I, I would do the same if I was in your position, but there's just some information that you might not be aware of, some critical information that will help you to maybe have a different view or to um, just change what you were gonna say. That is quite a difficult thing to do if you are uh, talking fast and, and tempers are flaring and stuff. So I understand that uh, and appreciate that there will be times when it's difficult to say, you know, please, may I appeal? Um, however, as much as possible, to really adopt that attitude of being teachable, being humble, and recognizing that everyone is human. Um, continuing in our mindset part um, of this advice, I think it's very important to look after your mental health. Um, find optimism, find joy. It is so easy to look at the negatives in our healthcare system, to look at the negatives in a patient situation, and to get pessimistic, to get jaded, um, and to forget really that we are there to, to help people who are sick and broken. The hospital environment is not a true reflection of society. As much as South Africa has problems, as much as society has problems, recognize that the hospital is where you see the worst of the worst, okay? So not every single young male is getting stabbed every weekend, although it might look like that in the trauma pit at Barra on a Saturday night. It might look like every single person who has a sip of wine uh, or, or, or alcohol goes completely bonkers and, um, and becomes a psych patient that becomes your problem. It's not like that. So you need to recognize that the patients that are coming to you in the hospital, in the clinics, are at the extreme end of people who are needing help, people who are needing your sympathy and needing your attention. That allows you to then leave work and go and enjoy the, the rest of your day, enjoy the rest of your life. To, to remember that when you're going into the hospital, it's not a nice place to be. It's not a nice place for the patient, certainly, and it's not a nice place for you. You've got to brace yourself. You've got to gird yourself up before you go into a hospital because that's not real life. That is an extreme situation that is very different from everyone else's nine to five and beyond, obviously. The other thing is then when you're in that setting to be professional. So as much as it's uh, easy and, and common to complain about the environment, complain about patients to their face, complain about uh, other colleagues, to maintain a sense of professionalism. Be above certain things. There's a saying that I had in my, my time at church was that what a culture is, a culture grows. And 
it's kind of like the fish that's in a bowl of water doesn't realize that it's wet because it's there all the time. If you're surrounded by negativity and people complaining, it's far easier to see that in yourself later on as just being normal. Um, so as much as possible, have high standards for yourself. Decide that you're not going to complain. You're not going to talk about seniors behind their back. You're not going to talk about colleagues behind their back. Certainly, sometimes uh, you need to vent, um, but maybe vent to somebody who's not in your, your team. Vent to a trusted friend, um, a, a partner, a spouse, a family member. But it's not appropriate to go behind people's back and, and vent. And, and I'm talking to myself here because there's been times when I have said negative things and they've only come back to hurt me. So I've learned this the hard way. So have an air of professionalism, have an air of being above certain things, being beyond reproach. And being beyond reproach, I think, also speaks to having enough integrity to admit when you're wrong. And again, this might not be organized in a completely systematic way, just because of the nature of the conversation that we're having. Uh, we're having this discussion. There's not just me speaking here, but it's other people who have offered their advice and gotten on board. And one of the things that people have said is, you know, to make sure that your yes is a yes, your no is a no, and to have some integrity. Admit your mistakes, uh, and when you say you're going to do something, do it in a timeliest manner. There's nothing worse than relying on a colleague um, or relying on someone else. They say they're going to do something, and then they don't, and they leave, and now you have to pick up the stack. So if a colleague says to you, um, you know, it's fine, I'll go do those five drips for you, um, they should you sh should be trusting them enough that that's definitely going to get done. So I hope that that makes sense. That's really about the mindset of being an intern in internship, is to adopt yourself in a position of learning. You're going to dive in. You're going to get your hands dirty. You're going to get your procedures done. There's a logbook to complete. So I hope that you read through your logbook and that you see what there is to be done and that you do it early and definitely save the front two pages of your logbook because that's where they sign off that you've completed a block. And if you forget that, um, that's a mission to run around and try to get signatures. The second part of the theoretical topic or cluster is about managing your money and creating a budget. I know when people hear that word budget, they're like, oh man, this is terrible. So I want to tell you a little story that helps me to change my attitude to having a budget. It goes like this. Um, when I was a kid, we, you know, it was a different day, a different age really. You could play in the streets until six o'clock at night. Um, the parents would just kind of let you go off into the streets with the neighborhood kids. We'd ride our bikes. We would play street cricket, um, and you know the the street lights would come on, and that was the signal to to go home for supper. You know, um, our moms didn't have cell phones to phone us on; they kind of just trusted that we were in the neighborhood, um, and they would only send a search party if we didn't come home that night. You know, um, a different time certainly. Um, but in those days, um, playing out in the streets, there was one house on the corner of the road, um, a tiny little white house. Uh, that had these little lace curtains and from time to time you'd see a tiny face peer out from behind these curtains. We very soon realized that there was a face watching us, you know, and everyone got spooked by the fact that there was this person watching us. And um, it was this little old lady who used to just peer out uh, through her curtains at the kids. And we developed all these weird stories about how she was a witch and how she was just 
waiting for an opportunity to snatch up one of the kiddies and cook them and eat them. And we were all terrified. And when we saw a hand pull the curtain aside, we would run away. Ah, you know, the lady is watching us. Um, until one day, um, we kicked a soccer ball into the garden. And we had to go and fetch a soccer ball from that garden. You know, the garden where the little old lady pulled the curtains away. She never came outside, but you'd see the hand pull away and, and look at us. And so we would do, you know, ching chong cha to see who was unfortunate, rock, paper, scissors, who was unfortunate enough to go into the garden. And so very carefully and, and cautiously, we climbed the wall and tiptoed into the garden to grab a ball. And as picked up the soccer ball, we looked up and there was this little old lady. And frozen in fright, oh no, she's going to eat us, she's going to cook us. Uh, turns out this little old lady was just dying for some company. And the reason that she pulled back the curtains all the time was she was hopeful that we would see her and re realize she's there and she's you know, just desperate for someone to come visit her. And every day she had these delicious homemade biscuits and treats that she was very uh, eager to share with the little neighborhood kids, but no one ever knocked on her door. No one ever came to visit her. And... It was only when we discovered that she was a kindly old woman who was just wanting visitors that we got to enjoy those biscuits, enjoy those treats. And once we did, we realized they were delicious treats and she always had them on hand and we would stop by and just grab some delicious biscuit treats. Now, believe it or not, that's a completely fictional story, <laughs> but it was a story that was developed to show what a budget is and what a budget can be. Because when people hear the word budget, it's very, very scary. It's like, oh no, this, this is something to catch me out. It's to take away my fun. It's a lot of work. I don't want to do it. And people don't want to set a budget. But actually, the budget is that little old lady with biscuits. The budget allows you to uh, have the freedom to spend your money knowing that you're not going to go broke and that you've prepared adequately for future. So as a young professional, going from living as a student, maybe spending, let's say, 3,000, I don't know, 3,000 rand a month to now earning more than 10 times that and uh, that, that step up in lifestyle, step up in spending money and, and the, the responsibility and the power that comes with it, a budget is crucial because a budget is going to allow you to build a foundation for future. I'm speaking here as somebody with a little bit of life experience as well, I got married when I was 24. My wife and I were, were very fortunate enough to buy a one-bedroom house when we got married. Um, with the assistance of my father-in-law, of course, he, he helped us to put a deposit down and, and get a house. But I'm looking back now um, with the benefit of hindsight and saying what I wish I had known when I was 24, what I wish I had known about spending and saving. I, I would not have spent so much money on clothes. I would not have spent so much money on gym supplements, for example. That's a silly example, but there's so much that as a 24-year-old, if you just apply yourself, if you set yourself certain boundaries, um, you can really, really set yourself up for success. Um, so speaking about money, as I said, it's more money than you've ever had before to begin with. So you need to budget, you need to build a program because it doesn't take much to actually subsist as an intern. In reality, you're going to be working so much that you're not going to have enough time to spend all your money. You're going to just basically have enough um, time to buy scrubs and shoes and food 
uh, and then you're going to be working really, really hard. And you will need to manage your money wisely. It's an opportunity, actually, to do a lot with your money because you have the least responsibilities you'll ever have um, and more free money than you've, uh, like, I'm going to say free money, more money available than you've ever had before. So don't overspend, number one. Um, set some some good boundaries. I mean, certainly investing quality, like uh, quality is remembered long after the price is forgotten. So don't buy cheap shoes that are going to wear out after three months. But don't also go and buy the 4,000 Rand one-of-a-kind name brand sneakers that are just going to get ruined by all kinds of bodily fluids in the ward. Invest in some good running shoes. We'll talk about that when we talk about foot, footwear. But also remember not to become a target, right? Because there's this perception that doctors are very wealthy. And when you're working at places like Barra or you're working in the clinics in the townships, um, you can become a target if you have an expensive smartwatch and jewelry and label brand uh, clothes and bags and you pull up in an expensive German uh, car. You know, so, so don't make yourself a target. Live within your means and certainly not saying don't have nice things. Have nice things. But within reason, when you're at the hospital, you're there primarily to be a doctor. So it's not the time to show off your expensive uh, watch or expensive sneakers. That's for outside of work, okay? Um, and I've spoken, I've mentioned already, set a foundation. Get some good wisdom. Get some good um, financial planning advice. And I can recommend the gentleman from Money and Medicine. They've got lots of resources available on YouTube. They also do um, events with all of the final year medics. And what I like about them is that they say, you don't have to take up any of our products. You don't have to uh, use us as your financial advisors. You're welcome to have your own people. Um, however, let us have a look at your situation. And you're under no obligation to take them on. Just let them help you, give you some tools. So I love that about them. I think they're fantastic people, so I can highly recommend them. Uh, the Money and Medicine guys, find them on Instagram, find them on, on YouTube. Uh, links to those will be in the show notes for this episode. And one final encouragement about money, um, certainly because I'm not like um, credited or qualified to give any kind of financial advice outside of a bit of life experience, and I've learned that the hard way, um, is save in small ways. So little things like don't buy a coffee from the hospital coffee shop every day if it's 25 or 30 rand. Don't buy a Seattle coffee on the way into work because um, at the end of the month, that's a thousand rand expense that you don't really need. Rather, take your own instant coffee. There's always a kettle somewhere in the hospital. Take your own instant coffee and a little bit of milk and make your coffee that way. Or, you know, don't buy Woolworths, um, meals for every single meal. Cook some meals yourself. Um, don't buy stuff that has been already handled and packaged. You know, do some of the packaging and handling yourself. That's a way to save money. So save money in small ways. And then, of course, save money in big ways. So if you're looking at, for example, your accommodation, for many people, that is a major expense. And as an intern, you literally are only going to be home <laughs> for sleeping and a few hours before and after work. Um, so don't get a crazy three-bedroom house on your own that you're never going to live in. Maybe share with other people. So you and your intern colleagues can say, hey, let's have a little bit of a commune. We can share some of the costs um, together. So one person can buy the TV, one person can buy the fridge. You'll take those things with you. But you don't have to have all of those things right off the bat. You, know, you don't have to furnish your, your house with everything yourself right away. 
as much as you're tempted to get a leather couch, you don't need a leather couch. So save in big ways, save in small ways. Remember to think ahead because you're only 24 now, you're only 25 now. Um, with such uh, little responsibilities, you're only in this position once in your life. It only becomes harder later on when you have kids or when you have to think about your spouse or prepare for medical aid and things like that, you know? So yeah, so that's my advice about money. Finally, under theoretical, I'd like to just talk about professionalism. So there are certain standards for a doctor to abide by that's regulated by the Health Professions Council of South Africa. Um, but even beyond that, the different hospitals will have professional codes of conduct. They'll have expectations on you as an intern. Um, and you should be very clear about when your contracted start and end times are for work. Although we know the hours for internship are long, there's never a justification for arriving to handover late. Um, it's always a mark of the individual's um, character to look at how punctual they are for something, especially if there's no ramifications for being just a little bit late. It's helpful to your colleagues to arrive 20 to 30 minutes before you're expected to take over work because we know that patients arrive towards the end of your shift. Now, if a patient arrives 30 minutes before the end of the shift, are you going to really let them sit in casualty and do nothing because it's the next shift's turn? No, you're going to start clocking that patient. You're going to start doing things for that patient. And then the, the next team comes on. And if they only come on when their start time is, and they're already uh, you know, five minutes late, 10 minutes late maybe, and they're putting their things away, by the time they actually come to take that patient over, you've done everything for that patient. And now you're half an hour over time and they... Uh, or half an hour over the start time. It's just not on. So be punctual, be early for handover, and really help your intern colleagues by coming just a little bit early so you can say, oh, I see you've started clocking that patient. Thanks so much. I'll take over from here. It really is a mark of good character. It puts good vibes into the team, and it creates a culture where you're there for each other. So that's part of professionalism, I guess. Um, I think another important part of professionalism is recognizing your own limits and knowing your own boundaries. Remember at the start of this kind of cluster of theoretical things, I spoke about the four phases of knowing, where we said in the beginning, you don't know what you don't know and, and things like that. It's okay to say, you know, I've never done a CVP myself. I don't know how to do that. Could you please help me? Or to say to a senior, I think I know how to do this. Theoretically, I know how to do it, but I don't have the practical skill yet. Could you please supervise me? Remember, internship is meant to be a supervised practice for two years. I have yet to meet a registrar or consultant who has said, no, I won't supervise you. There may be supervisors or, or seniors like that. and I'm really sorry for you if you encounter <laughs> doctors like that. But for the most part, doctors remember what it was like being an intern and having to do things for the first time. And good seniors will always be on your side. And they will appreciate it if you say, you know what, I don't know. Rather than being gung-ho and trying to do something, and then the patient bears the consequences. This is not to say that you're not going to make mistakes. Um, even today, I was feeling really down because I made a terrible mistake yesterday. Um, but I had supportive seniors who said, it's okay. The patient didn't suffer for it. Um, we understand where the mistake was. You'll never make this mistake again. It's acceptable to make a mistake. 
that's what being an intern is about. And uh, genuinely, I now have learned a lesson the hard way that I will never, ever, ever make that mistake again. And, and I'm so grateful that it didn't have any negative consequences. However, it all comes down to that professionalism to, to put up your hand and say, I don't know what to, to say. I'm so sorry I made a mistake. Um, and to you know, to not be combative about it, just to be honest about it. So that kind of wrap up, wraps up the more theoretical part of advice. And I really, really want to thank all of the other interns, junior doctors, um, those who've gone before me and my colleagues who have contributed on this. Um, and I hope that I've done justice to the advice that they have shared to uh, share with our audience. So now we're going to move on to the more practical side of internship with a whole bunch of practical advice and some tools and tips to help you to make your day a lot more enjoyable. So under practical advice, the first thing we're going to talk about is what clothing to wear on internship. And I've divided clothing and footwear into two different topics for the purposes of this podcast. So under clothing, one piece of advice that everyone has given is to make sure you always have a jacket and or a change of scrubs with you. So let's talk about having a jacket first. There is a reason that K-Way uh, down jackets are super popular uh, amongst um, the doctors. It's because they're light, they're comfortable, and they pack away really, really small. They're also quite affordable, and they come in a lot of different colors. So from an aesthetic point of view, fashion point of view, you can you know doll up your outfit really nicely with these K-Way jackets. They look great. But from the most important practical aspect, they are nice and warm. It does get cold. Remember, if you're on call, typically you are on call through all different phases of the day where you'll be there in the heat of the day as well as the cold of the night. And in South Africa, we tend to have extremes of temperature. Unless you're in a nice warm coastal town in KwaZulu-Natal, you will have cold nights. You will have times when it's freezing. So invest in a good jacket. Also maybe a, a beanie and or a buff, um, something that you can wear around your neck to keep warm, or also it does double duty where you can use it as a head cover if you're popping into theater just quickly to use the gas machine or something like that. Um, and all the surgeons were horrified then to realize that the medical interns are popping into theater to use their gas machine. <laughs> but um, a, a buff is a good accessory to have, something that again can just slip into your pockets, slip into your bag. I don't recommend bringing gloves because you will lose them and it can become a costly exercise because you're always taking your mittens on and off. Um, so don't bother to, to have gloves. Uh, it's just a waste of time. Then make sure that you have a backup set of scrubs. For me, what I do is I have a backup set of scrubs in my car so that if um, I'm washed in bodily fluids and absolutely grossed out, um, I can change into a set of scrubs. For certain rotations, it might also be worthwhile to shower while you're on call, depending on what your facilities are like. Um, I'm currently in a rotation where it's great to have a 5 a.m. shower because our calls are really long and we also work up a lot of sweat because we have recesses. We're running up and down stairs all the time. So by the time it's 5 a.m. Um, at the end of a long call and I'm looking forward to another day's work, um, it really helps to just have a quick shower, change it to some clean scrubs. You feel so good about yourself feel good mentally and refreshed, uh, ready to dive into a new day, new challenges, and kind of put the old uh, call behind you. So having a second set of scrubs is good. And while we're talking about scrubs, there are many, many different options when it comes to scrub companies in South Africa. 
Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. Diversity is great. There's different fabrics. There's different um, cuts and styles. It's nice when you're in peers to have different fun fabrics that the kids enjoy, you know, the cartoon characters and things like that. I just want to say that there's absolutely no advantage to having the 1200 Rand pair of scrubs versus the 300 Rand pair of scrubs. The scrubs are there to be comfortable. They're there to be functional. They will get all kinds of blood and snot and acidic fluid and sputum on them anyway at some point you know don't don't try and wear the most expensive clothes is what i'm trying to say there'll also be times when you're in ro rotations where you don't need to wear scrubs and there remember to dress professionally it's not appropriate for you to wear um, slip slops and jeans to a consult for example um, some jeans are very smart but then tailor them uh, you know match them with some smart shoes so that you offset the casualness of the jeans look professional people look to doctors as a respected profession and you certainly want to carry that well definitely if you um, look a little bit younger you know you don't want to come across as this young punk who's fresh out of medical school it, it's helpful if you have a baby face if you look young that you dress really well um, it just then commands respect people see you as a serious doctor and that doesn't mean you need to wear a tie and a lab coat it's just you know a collared shirt long sleeves uh, I'm obviously speaking from the guys here. Girls, you, you probably dress better than the guys anyway. So you know what it is to be elegant, to be classy, and um, what to wear that's appropriate um, for your shift. Then on to um, what kind of tech and accessories to have. Certainly it's helpful to have Bluetooth headphones. Lots of people have Bluetooth headphones and it's not because we're listening to podcasts and jams while we're working. It's because oftentimes your hands are busy and you're getting calls from the ward to do a drip or you're getting calls from your registrar to go to casualty to discuss an admission, blood bank because they've got your blood products ready. You know, So it's helpful to have some Bluetooth headphones so that while you're busy putting in a drip, you just quickly tap and can answer a call, that kind of thing. Those Bluetooth headphones can get lost. I'm thinking specifically about like the iPhone ones, um, I think they're called AirPods, that you know it's so easy to take them out and just lose them. So as, as much as it might not be as fashionable, consider getting ones that kind of loop over the ear or attach in a way that they're not gonna come out. But Bluetooth headphones are a good idea. Some people also have smart watches where they're able to answer calls uh, on their smart watch similar kind of thing again don't break the bank don't be flashy don't be a target but this kind of tech exists to help you as an intern then definitely have a charged power bank at all times get one that can charge um, your cell phone at least once from zero to 100 so like a 10,000 milliamp hour power bank but some people have even 30,000, 40,000. They have really giant power banks. You feel like they're going to jumpstart a Boeing. Another piece of useful tech, even though it's quite uh, rudimentary, is to have a small torch. Because using your cell phone to light up, for example, intimate exams, if you're doing a speculum exam, is not appropriate. Because the patient feels really uncomfortable when you're putting a cell phone in their, you know, their delicate areas. Also, cell phones are unwieldy. And they can be a lot dirtier um, from an infection prevention and control point of view. So it's handy to have just a tiny little pocket torch. You can get special kind of pupil torches. Even a normal little torch powered with an AA battery. You know, whatever you can get is fine. Just something that's going to help you if there's load shedding. Help you if you need to assess with a pupil reflex. Um, look inside the mouth. Uh, look inside uh, other areas of the body. You know what I'm talking about. So... So yeah, so a, a little torch would be handy. With the cost of data, it's 
Also something that a lot of us have started doing is investing in a little mobile Wi-Fi router because the data packages on Wi-Fi routers tend to be really, really cheap. You can get lots of data for less than if you added it to your cell phone plan. Um, and then you're able to either set that up in the ward so you all share the Wi-Fi or um, to carry that with you so that you make use of data. And a lot of us WhatsApp call each other now rather than using minutes because, again, the, the fees are so cheap. So that's just a little bit on tech. So the next advice um, is something that I kind of took for granted the importance of, and that is footwear. When I heard people say, oh, you must make sure that you have good shoes, get sketches or get Crocs, I kind of like, okay, cool, like shoes or shoes. But actually, your footwear is very, very important. Make sure that you get shoes that fit you appropriately, shoes that um, aren't going to get squelchy if they get wet, shoes that you're going to feel comfortable in for more than 12 hours at a time. So ones that do come very highly recommended are sketches and Crocs. Um, there's a reason why Crocs are so popular in the theaters and maybe you can think of others and people are welcome to share what their favorite shoes are. For me, I like to wear running shoes. Um, so I invest in good quality, high mileage running shoes. I currently wear Brooks because they are the best fit for my feet, but whatever you find that fits your feet really well, that you feel comfortable in, make sure that you buy shoes that are gonna last a long time because you are gonna to put tons of steps into them. Another piece of advice that some people have in terms of footwear is to consider buying gumboots for Obzingani because it is amazing how much fluids you encounter in Obzingani. In Caesar Theater, in Labor Ward, there is just fluids, fluids, fluids. It's helpful to just have some gumboots, then you're not worried about stepping in puddles, you're not worried about what uh, falls onto the floor, you are protected. There's nothing worse than wearing the same shoes that amniotic fluid has drenched for the next eight hours. Um, and that takes me to another thing, is to invest in good quality socks. People overlook the importance of socks. And I'm gonna sound like a real old man here, but get good quality comfy socks. There's a great South African brand called Versus Socks that was based in Stellenbosch and is now nationwide. You can buy them at Sportsman's Warehouse. They make excellent socks and they've got funky designs. They're comfortable and they're designed for uh, running and for hiking and tough applications like that. So you know that if you're just pacing up and down in the wards um, or running to blood bank, that the socks are gonna, they're gonna serve you well. Okay, the next practical aspect is to talk about apps. What kind of apps to have on your phone? So in no particular order, here are some of the applications that I use, that some of the other interns use, and that, that have been recommended interns to use going forward. So the first one that we like to use is MDCalc. Uh, MDCalc is a free application that includes calculations um, such as working out somebody's Chad Vass score. If somebody comes in and you need to work out what their corrected calcium is, you know, rather than having to remember a million formulas, you can just quickly input everything into the app. And what's great about MDCalc is it also tells you when to use it and why, what the different pitfalls of it are, what the weaknesses are, and what the appropriate next steps are. So let's say you cal calculate somebody's Timmy score and it tells you what their, their risk is. You can then stratify that patient, know how to organize follow-up, what the appropriate management is, you know, uh, all kinds of things that we, we know theoretically about but you might forget about are all loaded into that app. So it's a really, really great resource. The next app that I'd love to give a big punch to is Wardworks. And Wardworks is a South African app. Uh, we're featuring them as a sponsor or a partner on 
some of the current episodes of the Dr. Coffee podcast. But really what Wardworks is, is it is a patient list and task management app that helps you to uh, plan your work and simplify the way that you work. It's made by South African doctors for our context. It's made by junior doctors so they know what interns and junior doctors really need. It's got a great interface. You work as a team and you can add tasks and tick them off when they're done. And you can also see when they were added and, and, and taken off. So somebody can say, oh, that scan was booked. It was booked at 12 o'clock. Okay, it's only three now. It's fine. It'll, it'll happen, you know. You can also add comments. You can edit it. So you can say, um, I want this task done, but now instead of it being done today, we'll do it tomorrow. You can move patients around. So Wardworks is excellent in that regard. And another thing that's great about Wardworks is that it's um, poppy compliance. The Protection of Public Information Act is very strict about how we handle patients' personal information. Um, and although there are other apps that are out there, it's not always known whether they're Poppy Act compliant, which Wardworks is. So definitely give Wardworks a try. It has revolutionized the way that we do in internal medicine um, at where I work, and it really, really helps. Um, then another app that hopefully everyone has is WhatsApp. You know, we create WhatsApp groups, uh, you share pictures, you share patient files, reports, PDFs, things like that. So um, WhatsApp is a great um, app to have. One that I've come across that is super helpful is an app called Care2Translate. In the past, people were using Google Translate to try and um, translate certain phrases and things. But what the benefit of Care2Translate is, is that let's say you've got a French-speaking patient, right? You can select whether the patient is male or female so that you address them in the appropriate um, verbiage because in certain languages, you use different words whether the patient is male or female. And then when you communicates to the patient, it'll also come up with related suggestions. So let's say you're speaking to a pregnant lady and you'll say, how many weeks pregnant are you? Then there will come up associated things like, have you felt contractions? Has there been any bleeding? Is this a planned pregnancy? Um, what was your planned birth plan for this for this baby? You know, Were you planning on Caesar? Were you planning on a vaginal delivery? So really, really helpful app. They have a free version which has limited tools and then they also have the paid version. The free version is enough to create a sense of patient safety and satisfaction. Like if somebody comes in and they speak a language that we don't, one of the languages that aren't official South African languages, um, you can use that app to at least assure them that they're in a safe place, that you have their best outcomes in mind, and that you're looking out for them. So Care2Translate is a great app. Google Translate is useful to a point, because uh, for languages like Chichewa, for example, for if we have Malawian patients and we need to communicate in Chichewa, Google Translate will give you a text response or will give you the text to speak, but it doesn't give you audio yet. It, with both of these apps, there are limitations that you're not going to get every single language on. Another brilliant app that I love to use, I use every day, is EM Guidance. It's a local app that lists all of the different um, pharmaceuticals and drug agents and medications that are registered in South Africa, as well as some that, some that aren't even registered in South Africa. And it gives you the dosages, the indications, uh, interactions. There's even an interaction checker, so you can list the different um, drugs and dosages that the patient is on and look for interactions to see if the antibiotic that you're going to be adding uh, will interact with their heart medication, for example. Over and above just the medications, EM guidance also includes guidelines and protocols from universities like UCT or WITS, 
where you can then see what the protocol is for management of snake bite, for example, management of paraffin ingestion, management of burns, management of epilepsy. All of those guidelines from the departments of health or from the medical school emergency departments, all of those guidelines are listed so you can make sure that you have access to that information without having to lug your textbooks everywhere. So EM Guidance is great. It's a local app. Uh, they deserve our support. The next app that I would recommend or, or consider is Spotify. Spotify or Apple Podcasts because as an intern, you are still part of ongoing medical education and there's loads of great podcasts to listen to either on your way into the hospital or if you've got a moment during work. For example, in internal medicine, there is a podcast called the Harrison's Internal Medicine Pod Class where they talk through interesting cases in internal medicine and just to reinforce those concepts. I'm talking about internal medicine because I'm in that rotation now and that's a great podcast to tap into even as a final year medical student. If you're just preparing for exams, listen to the Harrison's Internal Medicine podcast. They go through cases, they give you a differential and why certain things would be ad um, appropriate or adequate and why other things would be contraindicated or less important. Um, so great, great podcast to get into. There's lots of other inspirational and informative podcasts. Um, I'm thinking of something called the Undifferentiated Medical Student Podcast. That is partly the inspiration for the Dr. Coffee podcast. It's an American podcast dating from about 2016 to 2018, uh, where a medical student interviewed specialists in the different fields to ask them about their speciality and their careers in medicine. The limitations of that podcast is that it is extremely limited to the American context. So they speak about step one, step two, step three. It's very different from the trajectory in South African medical schools and the South African health system. Uh, but nonetheless, it's useful, it's helpful, there's a lot to learn from it. I listen to podcasts about all sorts of things. I listen to the Huberman Lab podcast, which is about vitality and health and neuroscience. Um, yeah, so I'd say I probably listen to about six or seven podcasts at the moment, uh, totaling to about eight hours of podcast listening per week. Um, and some podcasts, 10 minutes, some podcasts are three hours, just depends on, on the format. Another app to consider is AnthroCalc. If you're going into your PEDS rotation and you need to work out a patient's Z-scores, their uh, weight for height, their BMI, things like that. AnthroCalc is really useful. And when you get into each rotation, each rotation, the seniors will have different apps that they can recommend. So avail yourself of that. There's lots of free stuff out there. But apps are really, really helpful, save you a lot of time. We're now coming towards the tail end of this podcast. So as you've seen, we've gone from very, very theoretical to a little bit more practical. Now we're getting to the most basic, fundamental, practical of all, which is your food and water, how to feed yourself and how to stay hydrated um, when you're in the hospital. So let's talk about food. In general, um, good nutrition is really important and it needs to be good nutrition that works for you. So whether you are into paleo or you're into vegan or you're into intermittent fasting or you're into a carnivore diet, however you want to eat, make sure that you're eating healthy food that meets your needs, you're getting adequate nutrition, you need to be energized for work. So in general, that means cutting down on sugar and processed food as much as possible. Granted, there is a place for chocolate. It's more than just um, food. Sometimes it's also about your mental health and an emotional state and just helping you to feel good, you know, for that split second. 
However, make sure you're not eating junk. You are a medical professional. You know the basics of how to look after yourself, how to look after your health. And what you put in is what you will get out. There has been many people advising buy Woolies meals, so Woolworths meals for when you're on call. And similarly, there's been lots of people saying don't buy Woolworths meals because of the expense. So there's this balance. I think the people recommending buying Woolworths meals are taking into consideration that it's meals that tend to be healthier for you. So eating food that is closer to a raw and natural state or that'll use cooking methods like steaming, you know, less frying in oil, baking, things like that, that are going to help your food to be really nutritious and give you good quality um, nutrients. On the day-to-day, it's important to have snacks on you so that if you can't sit down and eat a lunch um, or a supper, you can at least keep your sugar up. So for me, for example, I have fruit on me. Um, I tend to have little snack bars that won't melt and turn to mush. So uh, things that are like granola bars, uh, things with nuts and berries in them, um, or even pro neutro bars that have like a small chocolate coating on, you know, not the end of the world if that melts. But in general, snacks that will fit into your, your moon bag um, or into your pockets. Oh, I didn't even talk about having a moon bag. Definitely invest in a moon bag or a small backpack that you can take with you. So so that you have sugary snacks with you. The, the reality is that you often eat on the run. As an intern, sitting down and having a meal is a luxury. Um, but if you have those little snacky treats, and that's where it can be so difficult because snacky treats tend to be loaded with sugar. They tend to be highly processed. They tend to be full of junk. And here I am saying, eat healthy. Make sure that you don't eat sugar. Make sure that you have less processed food. So it's like this catch-22. But there are snacks that are healthy, like fruit, like nuts, you know, dry, uh, dry biltong snacks, uh, druivors and biltong, um, things like that that are healthier for you than chocolate bars and chips and things like that. That being said, I am guilty of sometimes binging on the vending machine snacks, which tend to be salty chips or nosh bars or on my absolute kryptonite. In general, however, it's always better to take food in that you have cooked yourself, that you know where it's come from, you've prepared it nicely, it's fresh, um, it's nutritious, and invest in some good quality Tupperwares as well as a cooler bag. Um, a good quality cooler bag with a lot of space because you will eat more food than you think. Um, it's always a good idea to take more food than you think you will need for call in case your hours run over a little bit uh, longer, in case um, you just have so much as you need to do and your output is, is much higher than you thought. So a good quality cooler bag with some ice blocks to keep your food nice and fresh. There's generally uh, a microwave somewhere if you need to steam something or heat something up. But take some food items that don't need to be cooked or, or heated in any way. So that if you only have five minutes, you just quickly gobble a meal down. As an absolute emergency, there's always takeaways or Uber Eats. But it is important to remember that First of all, Uber Eats inflates all their prices. So, you know, a burger at the shops might be 45 Rand, but when you Uber Eats it to you, it's 75 Rand, you know, so the prices are inflated. And second of all, you're not able to leave the hospital for any reason. When you are on call, you are on. So um, you can't leave to take your delivery. That is something that I haven't really spoken about, but it's important to remember that when you're on call at the hospital, you're on duty. When you're off duty, you must be off completely. You are allowed to be unreachable. You are allowed to be um, 
almost like off the face of earth um, if, if you need it because your time is your time. You work enough hours as an intern that when you are not at, at work, you don't have to answer calls from work. You are a junior doctor. You have very little responsibility. There is somebody else who can answer that burning question about the patient. It's very important that you have your own time. I didn't speak about it and I regret it now, so I'm adding it now. Make sure you have some hobbies outside of, of medicine. Make sure that you have something that refreshes you. Uh, for me, that's trail running. I take my dog and we go hit the trail for an hour and a half and that really sharpens me. It's really helpful. Um, but it can be anything. It can be gym. It can be listening to music. It can be, it can be art. Uh, it can be uh, pottery. I don't know. Just make sure you have something that sets you apart, that you have an identity outside of medicine, something that's going to refresh you and something that's going to keep you away um, so that your time is your time. So we've spoken about food. Now let's talk about hydration. Uh, investing in a good water bottle is important. One idea is to have two water bottles. One that's a really big bulky one that you take lots of water into the hospital and one that's a small pocket-sized one so that you have water with you in case you're just desperate to gulp down a sip of water um, between wards and your water bottle is far away from you. Now, I said invest in a good water bottle. A good water bottle is not necessarily one that's going to break the bank. Although it is nice to spend money on a good water bottle that's going to last a long time, um, definitely you get what you pay for. So a good investment, um, if you're going to buy a water bottle, buy a good one. But I like to recycle and reuse Energade or Powerade bottles. Um, I often freeze them when I'm preparing for call so that they become my blue blocks in my cooler bag as well. And then there's the added benefits of that. As they thaw, you've got nice icy water that's so refreshing in the middle of the night. You won't always be able to drink and you need to stay hydrated. You will feel heaps better when you are hydrated and the next day you're not parched um, <laughs> after call. The other thing is that kidney failure or kidney function is a real concern when you're on call. Um, and we, we'll speak about kidneys now when we talk about caffeine. Um, but basically, you want to stay hydrated at all times. Yeah, I can't emphasize it enough. Drink water. Then caffeine. Um, you'd think with the Dr. Coffee podcast being my name that I'd be like, drink as much caffeine as possible. But honestly, caffeine in moderation. Um, caffeine is a useful tool. It can improve your mood. It can improve your efficiency. But there's a limit to how good caffeine can be. There's a point at which any more caffeine just gives you jittery um, gives you the jitters, makes you anxious, and it's not worth it. <laughs> so um, limit your caffeine intake to a maximum of 400 milligrams a day. That's kind of where the evidence says um, you will get no benefit beyond that. Um, and also you need to consider that when you're taking caffeine, that it has a half-life of about four or five hours. So depending on how you function, um, some people will start to feel a, a bit of a slump four hours after drinking caffeine some people that can be up to eight hours but if you do have a cup of caffeine uh, and uh, of coffee or some source of caffeine and you become a habitual caffeine user you need to know when your slumps are going to be so to time your caffeine so as not to interfere with your your work and not to interfere with your sleep wake cycle um, I really want to direct people here to a Huberman lab podcast that I found fascinating i found really useful it was a recent podcast by andrew huberman uh, the title of the podcast is your sleep toolkit 
Optimizing Sleep and the Sleep-Wake Timing. That's episode 84 of the Huberman Lab podcast. I'll put a link to it in the show notes for this episode. But basically, it's all about optimizing sleep and your your um, cycles around things like exercise, body temperature, caffeine, food, so that you can get really good quality sleep um, and be effective when you need to be effective. And caffeine is one of those key ingredients. One of the habits that I've started developing or one of the tools that Andrew Huberman speaks about that I've implemented is to only start drinking caffeine or, uh, or coffee one and a half hours after waking. So typically I wake up at about 5.30 every morning and I will have my first cup of coffee only at 7 o'clock. What that hour and a half allows is for my body to wake up naturally, uh, for their adenosine receptors to get flushed and to get cleaned out and to not have any interference from caffeine. Um, and then my first cup of the day is basically as I'm stepping into the hospital so that I have that maximum um, caffeine hit until around about 11.30 and then by midday I'm starting to think about my next cup of coffee. I can have that cup of coffee and on a typical working day, um, by the time I leave the hospital, um, I have kind of used up the caffeine, but I'm not getting home, um, you know, wired from caffeine. Sometimes if you have a cup of coffee at four o'clock, you can't sleep that night because you're still wired from caffeine. Um, but it's up to me then. If I want to have a third cup of coffee, I can. But generally now, I'm only drinking two cups of coffee a day and it optimizes uh, my sleep really well and it optimizes my efficiency in the ward. So I know that's something that's really helped me is to limit my coffee to just two cups a day and to time it like that in, in such a way. That episode also talks about other things. So I really want to recommend it to all of our listeners to optimize your sleep and your wakefulness to maximize your mental health because sleep is the foundation of your mental and physical health. Um, it helps you to recover. It helps you to consolidate your learning. There's so many good benefits to getting solid sleep. Um, <clears throat> and also, when we talk about caffeine, to realize that caffeine is another one of those expenses, right? If you're going to the canteen to go and buy an Illy Cappuccino every single day, that's going to be a 30 rand expense. That At the end of the month, that becomes a really expensive habit. Coffee like that should be a luxury or a treat that you're using to bless your friends or to you know, support your registrars. So if you do buy coffee like that, I would recommend that you buy it as a treat for others, as a gift, to show honor, to show them that you appreciate them, um, or to help them out if they're having a bad day. But for yourself, drink um, instant coffee, take your own Jacobs or other forms of instant coffee into the hospital. I would never stoop so low as to drinking re-coffee, but uh, if you enjoy some re-coffee, that'll be also fine. Um, I think from a health point of view, avoid instant cappuccinos unless you absolutely health, have to from a mental health point of view. But those instant cappuccinos are loaded with sugar and um, palm oil. They're not really that great. And I mean, think about it. How are they making that foam, right? It's a chemical foam. That's quite disgusting when you think about it. Um, Red Bull and Monster are popular resources and tools for intern doctors, especially Red Bull because of the handy serving size, you know, 250 mils. However, energy drinks like that have been associated with kidney um, injury, with acute kidney injury, um, and even in renal failure. So, I mean, you can read up about it, but I can say from experience, I've actually had blood work done when I was using monster energy drinks to power through a particularly rough uh, call, 
and I was shocked to see that my urea and creatinine were through the roof on that particular call. So, you know, it's not normal for somebody like myself to have a urea of 10 and a creatinine of 160 um, with an EGFR of less than 90 on that call. I can't remember what it was, but basically my kidneys weren't doing particularly well. Um, and it all came down to, as it turns out, came down to the fact that I was dehydrated and I was drinking these monster energy drinks. So this is not to damage monster in any way. I've really enjoyed monster energy drinks. I think they have their place. Um, but because you are uh, working so hard on call, um, maybe there are other ways to optimize caffeine. If monster works for you, by all means, go for it. Um, but I think from my advice, I would avoid monster and I would very much limit Red Bull and rather just stick to good old fashioned water and, um, Good, good old-fashioned fresh coffee. One thing I didn't speak about is having some juice boxes. Juice boxes are a way to provide some energy, some nutrition, as well as some vitamins, but just watch out that you don't drink too many of them because they're loaded with sugar and um, they're not very dense in those vitamins, so there are better ways to get nutrients, but that's a good tool. I'm not really qualified as a dietitian or anything like that. We're all doctors on this podcast. Um, so it's just really to give you some advice from experience. Yeah, so that kind of wraps up what I have to say. I hope that this is a really, really helpful podcast for interns going into uh, internship. There are a huge number of people who have shared their internship experiences with their advice, um, things to watch out for, things that they found useful. So what I'll do over the coming months is I will share them um, just to give them a bit of more exposure in the platform as well. Um, but really appreciate your, your time spent here. I hope that it's been helpful, beneficial. I'm sure that there were many things that you already knew as a student in clinical rotations. I'm sure that there were things that you've seen firsthand. Um, some things go without saying. But even at the most fundamental level, I hope that you get, got some insight, some inspiration, some encouragement to be the best possible intern you can be. Internship is really, really fun. It's extremely hard. It is gut-wrenching, um, there are heartbreaking moments, there are massive wins. You will feel great the first time that you cut a Caesar and you see your name next to surgeon. It's a fantastic feeling. But you have to go in with your eyes open. You have to go in with a mindset ready for anything. You're going to get your hands dirty. You're going to do some work. And I hope that by going through these things, uh, these simple steps, going through the 10 or so different topics that I've shared on this podcast that you will get maximum benefits and that you will be a great junior doctor. Well, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode as much as I did. Full links to websites and resources mentioned can be found in the show notes for this episode. And don't forget to check out our sponsor, WardWorks app. If you know of a consultant or senior registrar in a specialty that you would like featured on the Dr. Coffee podcast, please get in touch. The podcast's email address is drcoffeeza at gmail.com. That's drcoffeeza with no punctuation marks. We're also on Instagram and YouTube with the username at drcoffeeza. If you've got anything else on your mind, such as a request for additional topics, further information on how to engage with our guests, feedback on the show, or anything else, please get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. The Dr. Coffee podcast is brand new and freshly brewed each week with you in mind. Please consider sharing this episode with fellow junior doctors and medical students in your world who you think would benefit from the content and enjoy. 
You can also help by posting a picture of your favorite warming beverage on Instagram with the hashtag HowsItBrew. That's brew with an EW at the end. And mentioning at DrCoffeeZA. We'll repost every mention to our story. Thank you so much for your support.